0: So I'm not gonna tell you how it turns out. You gotta come back next week. All right, the drama builds. But uh, seriously, so getting ready for this series we're calling Fearless, I uh, began to face one of my fears, just to get ready for this thing. One of those fears has always been the fear of heights. And so I was going to actually skydive. A lot of people was guessing, oh, he's skydiving. I would have skydived. The industry standard is 220 pounds. And so uh, I could lose five pounds, I'm not losing 25 pounds for anything, okay? So uh, what was the next best thing? Instead of jumping out of an airplane, it was bungee jumping, but it was 240 and they wouldn't let me jump at all if I was even a little bit over 240. So I made the way and uh, I'm not gonna say what happens because uh, you just gotta keep coming back for the fearless. Series, But that's what we're doing this year. We're gonna face our fears. We're gonna learn how to walk by faith and live by faith because faith is how we overcome the fears that we face in life. And guys, I'm convinced that fear is one of the primary tools of the enemy to keep us living in captivity so we never walk out what Jesus called life abundantly. Now, we're calling the next two years fearless. That's our theme as a church family. If you didn't get one on the way in, be sure you get one of these on the way out. A fearless brochure will tell you what we're gonna fearlessly be asking God to do. We just got finished with a two-year run, a two-year campaign that we called Imagine. And we imagined a new destination. It was a call to action. And all of a sudden, we can look back over two years and see all that God did, all that we prayed that he would do, as we imagined what God might do. Uh, And we uh, launched a church this year, and we're launching another one shortly in South Kansas City. That was one of the things we imagined God do over those two years. We imagined a food pantry that could further serve our city, and we saw God make that dream become a reality. We imagined that God would help us pay off another $5 million of our church debt as a church family. And can you celebrate this with me? We just paid off another half a million dollars last week of our church debt. Uh, Watch this. God is amazing. He he gives you more than you even asked for. Uh, We, uh, in two years, didn't just pay off $5 million of debt. We paid off $6.8 million of our church debt. We're on pace to be debt-free in three years. Three years, we're gonna be debt-free as a family. Now, that's mission critical because you can imagine as we begin to multiply the light and uh, shine a bright light throughout this region of the world. Just imagine the possibilities now as we start new mission and new ministries completely debt free as a church family. Remember, this has never been about addition. That's not why we moved into this auditorium. It's about multiplication and multiplying the light of God all over our city. That's what this is about. Every finish line has to become another starting line. So we're starting another two year run, what we're calling fearless. And this little brochure will outline what we're asking God Once again, we need a vision that demands divine intervention that keeps us in a state of desperation, believing God can do the impossible things. You don't get to see God do the supernatural things until you're attempting improbable things. And so we're gonna be doing some brand new things this year and next year. Uh, Partnering with the Blessing House to reach some of the African refugees coming right here to our city from around the world. We're gonna be starting a Blue Springs campus in August of this year, a campus of Abundant Life. If you wanna know more about that, January 20, six o'clock in the evening, over in the core, an informational meeting. If you think you might wanna be a part of that, Uh, It's an exciting move of God that we are beginning to see God do as we're launching new churches and new campuses all over the Kansas City metro to multiply the bright light of the living God. I love the book of Joshua, and as we get going in the book of Joshua, you need a little bit of the backstory. A lot of you know it, but a lot of you don't. As we open up the book of Joshua today, and we begin studying the the character of Joshua, this man we know in history as Joshua that led the children of Israel in conquest of the Promised Land. Uh, What we know is that 40 years earlier, the children of Israel had come to that, that same place, that brink of decision. And most of you know the story how Moses went to Pharaoh while the Hebrews were in Egyptian tyranny, and he went to Pharaoh, and he said, let my people go, and Pharaoh said, oh no. And uh, Moses came back, and again he said, let my people go, and Pharaoh said, no way, Jose. Or something like that, it's kind of a paraphrase, right? But what we know is all of that is our story. What I love about the Old Testament is not just history, it's not just theology, it's our story personally. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us that the entire exodus of the Hebrews out of Egypt into the Promised Land, it's all a picture of us. It's all a picture of what God wants to do in each of our lives. Do you understand that when Moses delivered the Israelites from Egyptian tyranny, that was a picture of you and me being delivered by what Jesus did at Calvary. You see, he is our deliverer that has delivered us from sin's penalty. No longer are we under Satan's tyranny. No longer are we under sin's authority. And now he sets us on a journey to a land that flows with milk and honey. It's what Jesus called life abundantly. And you can see that picture in that history of what God wants to do in your life personally. Now, what we know is 40 years before Joshua chapter one, we're about to study. Numbers 13 and 14 tells us the story how that first generation of Hebrews that had been delivered from Egyptian tyranny, now they're on the banks about to cross over into this land God promised that flowed with milk and honey. They make a pivotal decision. Moses sends 12 spies into the land. Now remember, we call it the promised land for a reason. God had promised them this land. They still had to possess the land, but God had promised them that land, and it was a trust test right away. Do you believe that God will do what he said he's gonna do? That's what it always comes down to. And as the life of a child of God, do you believe that God will do what he says he will do, that he means it for you too? Because they come to this place called Kadesh Barnea. Now, Kadesh in the Hebrew, it means sanctuary. Kadesh Barnea was a wilderness Sanctuary, hang on to that, you're going to need that later. And Moses sends 12 spies into the land to spy out the land and they come back and two of them, Joshua and Caleb say, guys, it is exactly what God said. It is a land of beauty and bounty. It's really a land that flows with milk and honey and God has said, it's ours already. Let us go up at once and possess it for we are able to overcome it. But 10 of the spies come back and they give a different report. 10 of the spies come back and they say, guys, look, it is what God said. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. I mean, it's a land of beauty and bounty. But did you see the size of those boys over there? Those some big old dudes. I mean, they're like, Brr, and we're like, and it's like, no way can we overcome them. They're giants. I mean, we're like grasshoppers in our own sight. And I mean, did you see the size of those giants? And they got these iron chariots and they'll probably pour milk over our kids and eat them for breakfast. And all of a sudden panic and fear began to spread throughout the camp. I call them unbelieving believers. And in some way that's a picture of many a Christian, many of us here, unbelieving believers, watch this. That generation of Hebrews had enough faith to get out of Egypt, they just didn't have enough faith to get into the Promised Land unbelieving believer, yes, I know it's a contradiction of terms, that is the point. Like so many Christians, enough faith to get into heaven, but not enough faith to get through that trial or that tribulation, or be set free from that addiction or that depression, yes, enough faith to get out of Egypt, but not enough faith to get into the promised land, enough faith to be delivered from sin's penalty, but not enough faith to step into what Jesus called life abundantly, and so we live forever stuck halfway, and that's what happened that first generation of Hebrews. They got stuck halfway in their journey. Yes, they were delivered from captivity and slavery, but they chose to live in this wilderness sanctuary where it was easy, a place of mediocrity. No, it wasn't the land that flowed with milk and honey, but it wasn't slavery, and that's where many of them would die, and that's where many a Christian dies, delivered from sin's penalty, but we never walk in that promise spiritually of what Jesus called life abundantly. And that is where I wanna help you this year begin to get unstuck. I want us to begin to make conquests of the promised land in our life where we are now living in the promises of God, that we're living now in the presence of God, that we're living in the power of God, and all of a sudden, this is more than just a story, this is more than just theory, this is more than just history, this is more than just theology, like I am experiencing the promised land personally. And that is why we're doing this series. And what we're gonna learn is this, All right, well, watch this. Fear keeps you living in captivity while faith is how you live in victory. Faith is how you begin to appropriate practically all the promises of God in your life. What had God promised the Hebrews? God had promised them a specific piece of real estate in the Middle East, it's called the promised land, because God said it and God was going to deliver it. God has to do whatever it is God said he's going to do. And I want you to see though that until they by faith took possession, it was still simply a, a promise and it's faith that helps you appropriate all the promises of God in your life. But here's the deal, we all have these giants. We all have fears. And it was a literal race of giants the enemy had prepared in the promised land to keep the Hebrews on the other side. It was a literal race of giants that they had seen and they went on what they saw instead of what God has said. You see, the problem for that generation 40 years before Joshua is they had looked at the size of those giants compared to their size personally instead of the size of their giants instead of the size of the God they knew from eternity. And in all of our life, that's the choice. We all have these giants in our life, these overwhelming obstacles, these incredible challenges that like, there's no way around it, there's no way through it, it's an impossible situation. And I want you to see, it always comes down to this one thing, will you look at the size of the giants compared to the size of you, or will you look at the size of the giants you face compared to the size of the God that you serve? And what we learn is this, that fear is a part of what the adversary does to keep us in captivity so we never appropriate the promises of God personally. Look at what it says in 1 John 5, 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Let me ask you, has there been a moment in your life that you called by faith on the Son of God and you received salvation? It's what Jesus called being born again. Have you been born of God? Yes? Well, some of us. If you haven't been, I hope maybe today you will be. I want you to see, if you've been born, if you've been born again, say, say yes. yes. Aren't you glad? You've been born again by faith in the Son of God. That makes you a child of God. And I want you to see what it says. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Do you see your positional reality in Christ is that you're an overcomer? You were made to overcome any of those fears in your life. You were made to overcome any of those giants in your life. You see, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. That is your positional victory of what Jesus has done for you already. Now how do you appropriate that practically? And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. See, faith is how you appropriate the reality of that victory you have. That is your birthright as a believer. If you were an ancient Hebrew, you had a birthright, a birthright from God. As an ancient Hebrew, that land belonged to you. God said it, he would deliver it. Now listen, that was a literal piece of real estate, but did you know, as a child of God, you don't have a literal piece of real estate God's given you, yet you have a real estate. Your real estate is a place of victory. Your real estate is what Jesus called life abundantly. Your real estate is 2 Corinthians 3.17, a life of liberty. Your real estate is 2 Corinthians 2.14, life triumphantly. See, that's what it means to be an overcomer. It's not a promise that your life is going to be easy. No, you may endure a lot of suffering. The children of Israel fought more battles when they crossed over in the Promised Land than they ever did in the wilderness of mediocrity, a wilderness that was a sanctuary. See, when you cross over, the battles just begin but I want you to see you were made for victory. That is your ultimate reality as a blood-bought, born again, child of the living God. 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God has not given us the spirit of fear. Everybody say power. Listen, God has given you a spirit of power, not a spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. I want you to see that fear really is a spirit. We're talking about a demonic spirit. Fear is a demonic spirit of the enemy, and it's how he keeps believers living in captivity, but as a child of God, you placed your faith in the Son of God, you've also received the spirit of God. That means God's spirit has given you a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and of a sound mind, what's that mean? It means when everybody else is going crazy, you can live with certainty. When it feels like the world around you is crumbling, you can live confidently. He's given us the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind, but there's the spirit of fear that keeps us living in captivity, anxiety. And guys, I've talked to a lot of our counselors right here, uh, the Abundant Life Counseling Center, other counselors that are in the industry uh, from other places as well, you know what they're telling me over and over again, that they're seeing a phenomenon recently uh, that was really not something they saw maybe even just 10 years ago. And the number one thing that they're seeing people in their counseling center for is anxiety. Anxiety, fear, anxiety. Uh, I'm I'm convinced there's this pandemic of fear sweeping American society, even even Christ's body. And that's why we're focusing on fear versus faith, because faith is the antidote to living in fear. And let's face it, we all have fears. Every one of us have fears. If I meet somebody and says, well, Pastor Phil, I just don't have any fears. I I don't fear anything. I'm just telling you, I don't believe you. Because you're either too young and dumb, to know that you ought to fear a few things. You just ain't lived long enough to figure it out yet. Or you're too machismo to admit it. I'm just telling you, I'm not too machismo. I'm not too macho to admit I got fears. And and here's the reality. I want us to begin to identify some of those fears because you fear, listen, your fear is always in some way associated with that which you love. What we fear the most is loss, the pain of loss, We fear losing something that matters to us. And so that's why we're focusing on fear versus faith. God wants to lead you into that promised land of power where you're living with a sound mind and you're not feeling like I'm going crazy and even in a world of uncertainty, I'm living confidently. That's what what Jesus meant when he said life abundantly and out here in the foyer, there's a couple of walls. I'm calling them the wall of fear. All right, because this year the walls are gonna fall. And I want you to, before you leave, go out there and write on there what would be your fears. You begin to identify your fear. You probably have more than one. I just want you to maybe write one on there. Write whatever you want on there. And that wall of fear will identify in our church body personally what is our fears. I was the first one to write on that wall of fear. This is what I wrote. Can you read it? I fear losing one of my children. That's always been one of my fears. Can anybody relate to that? I I didn't think I would be alone. Like if you're a mama or a daddy, this is one of your fears. We all fear the same thing. You know why? Because we love our children so immensely. And we fear losing one of them. Your fear is always attached to what you love the most. And uh, here's what I just, I just wanna share with you. When you got little kids, and I used to have little kids, and now I got bigger kids, when you got little kids, you fear losing one of them like you worry about them. Let me tell you something, that was easy. You know why it's easy when they're little? Because you can control their life. You can protect them and safeguard them and take care of them and you can provide for them and if it's broke, you can usually fix it. If it's lost, you can usually find it. If they have a little owie, you can usually, but but, but here's, when they grow up and get bigger, you realize, I can't do any of that now. Like, they're completely on their own. I can't do it for them, I can't protect them, I, I can't take care of them. Uh, just wait till those little ones start driving. Now you got a lot more to worry. Now wait till they start getting married. You know, I had three children, Now I have a daughter-in-law, a son-in-law, my family is growing. Now I got more people than ever to worry about. I don't have grandchildren yet, but one day I'll have grandchildren, my family's growing, then I'll have even more people to worry about, right? See, that's the nature, the the, the older you get in life, sometimes you grow in fear. You have more fear, because you got more to worry about than you've ever had before. And you know, this past uh, week, Josh, my youngest, is 20, and he was going to a New Year's Eve party with a bunch of Paradigm Young Adults, I thought to myself, I'm so blessed. He's going to this party with a bunch of young adults and there's not gonna be any alcohol. I am so blessed as a dad. So he's responsible for bringing in the party drinks. And so uh, he is bringing 20 bottles, one for everybody, I guess, of sparkling grape juice, sparkling apple cider. I thought, I am so blessed. I've got a 20-year-old son and uh, this is, all they're gonna be drinking at this party and so I go to Walmart with him and we get these 20 bottles of sparkling non-alcoholic grape juice that looks like champagne and I'm wheeling out 20 bottles <laughs> you should have seen the double takes I was getting like <laughs> boy, they're gonna have a party I'm like it's not Kind of embarrassing, but 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 as he was leaving the house that night, look, I'm an ex-cop. I know what goes on on New Year's Eve. About half the cars out there are drunk, and that little that little tinge of panic began to well up inside of me. I pray God get him home safe, because I don't know what I'd do if I lose him. I, I, I've known a lot of pain, and we all know pain. We all have pain in our life, but I don't know that I could handle that. I don't know that I could do that. And that's one of my fears, always has been. And you can see why we're, we're doing this series, because, uh, because we all, in some way, share the same fears. We have the same fears, and we fear loss. And that's why we're, we're focusing on this because here, listen very carefully. Our lives will never be fruitful if we're more fearful than we are faithful. And what God wants for you is a fruitful life. That's the abundant life. Jesus said in John 15, 16, I have ordained that you should bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. You see, the promised land of the believer, spiritually, a land that flows with milk and honey, is that you're living a life that is fruitfully, you're living a life of beauty and bounty. Yes, there's times of profound suffering, but you're overcoming, you're not being overcome. That's the abundant life of the believer. But listen, if you never ever stop being fearful, you're life will never ever be fruitful if you don't learn to overcome your fears to be faithful and that's what happened that previous generation of Hebrews they were more fearful than they were faithful so they never crossed over into that land that was fruitful and so you can see why it matters so much what we're about to study God wants you to live a fruitful life he wants you to live the bountiful life the abundant life Joshua chapter 1 verse 1 you're ready to study the word of God together All right, here we go. I'm gonna tell you up front ahead of time. We are not getting through all the blanks today. I'm just telling you, I'm way too ambitious sometimes when I put your sheet together. like We're not gonna get through it. I'm just telling you up front. We're gonna do a little intro, and then we're gonna come back next week and study some more, okay? After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving them, the children of Israel. So we learn right away, Moses by this time is dead. Joshua is now the next leader of the Israelites. He's the one that's gonna lead them on the conquest of the promised land. Now God points out specifically, Moses is dead at this point, I think for a couple of reasons. First of all, remember, everything is a picture of what God wants to do in our life. And what is God teaching with the death of Moses? Moses leads them to the brink of crossing over, but Moses does not take them to the point of crossing over. And there's a reason for that. Remember, Moses is the lawgiver. Moses is the one that gave the law of God. You remember, he's the one that went up to Mount Sinai, came back down with the Ten Commandments. And did you know that as the lawgiver, he could not be the one to lead them over into that promised land that flowed with milk and honey? You see, he's teaching us right away that you. You cannot live the mature life in Christ, the abundant life in Christ, if all you ever do is approach God based on the law, keeping a set of lists, keeping a list of do this and don't do this. You see, that's not how you grow in Christ to a place of maturity where you're walking out daily, what Jesus called life abundantly. You cannot do it by keeping the law. I don't think it's accidental, it is not coincidental, that Jesus is known in the Old Testament as Joshua. Joshua is going to be the one to lead them all the way. Moses could only take them part way. You see, the law was given not to bring about your salvation. The law could only bring about your condemnation. You see, God did not give you the law, the moral law, knowing that you would keep it. He knew that you would break it. Therefore, you would understand your need for redemption. Jesus, you see, is your deliver. Jesus, you see, is your redeemer. And just like Joshua in the Old Testament, the same name in the new testament is jesus jesus is the one to take you all the way christ is enough for me do you believe that we just sing it and you see he wants you to learn that christ is enough and joshua jesus is the only one that can take you all the way to the promised land of the believer now there's something else in deuteronomy chapter 17 there's another picture in Deuteronomy chapter 17, Israel is in this wilderness and it's a desert and there is no water. You've got 2 million people here that need water and all of their livestock. There is no water. God tells Moses, "I'm going to do a miracle. I want you to take your staff and I want you to strike that rock." In Deuteronomy 17, guess what happens? Moses takes his staff, he strikes the rock, and out of that rock came enough water for 2 million people and all of their livestock. Now, we know that was a picture. First Corinthians 10 tells us that Christ is that rock. Jesus is the rock, he is the rock of our salvation. And when Moses struck the rock, and out of that rock came water, remember what Jesus said in John chapter 4, he is the living water, and when someone drinks of me, they shall never thirst again. You see, when Moses struck the rock, that was a picture of the crucifixion. Jesus Christ was struck as the rock of our salvation, and out of him poured forth living water, a picture of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost being poured forth upon all the believers, and you can see that picture emerging as it says in the book of first Peter, Peter would say that Jesus is our rock, the rock of our salvation. And he would say these words that he suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. That's very important. You know why? Because years later, Moses was told by God to do it again. Only this time, don't strike the rock, speak to the rock. But he was angry. Why was Moses angry? You would have been too, if you had to lead these ancient Hebrews. I mean, they were cantankerous. Just read the text. They were constantly griping, constantly complaining. They were constantly critiquing. They wanted to stone them. I mean, here's the guy that led them out of Egypt and parted the Red Sea, and they're constantly complaining. So they they get under his skin one day. God tells him, speak to the rock, but in his anger, he strikes the rock a second time. You know what Moses did? He messed up God's picture. Jesus wasn't struck a second time. Jesus was struck once for our sin, and God said, Mose, you messed up my picture, man. It's gonna cost you. I'm not letting you go over into the land. You've gone as far as you're going. I'm gonna take you up to a mountain. We call it Mount Nebo, it's still there to this day. If you're on the Holy Land Tour with us, you can go here and we're standing right here on Mount Nebo with the Promised Land behind us. We're just a few miles away from the River Jordan where we cross over on our Holy Land tour in the very same place the children of Israel crossed many years ago. You know what I love about our faith? Listen, our faith is just that, it's faith, but it is not blind faith. Our faith is based on real history, the historicity, the archeology. span It proves this is more than just some myth that happened. Listen, you can go there today. And as I stood on Mount Nebo, standing in that general area, God took Moses to survey the land you can see behind me, listen, people go, and they, it doesn't look like the land that flows with milk and honey, you know why? Because you all you see is the mountains and the desert. When you come down out of the mountains and you enter the Jezreel Valley, it is today, exactly as God said, a land that flows with milk and honey. It is a place of beauty, it is lush, it is green, it is fruitful, it is bountiful, and all the ancient people wanted it, but it was to the Jews, God said, I'm giving it. Moses is now dead. Only Joshua, a picture of Jesus, can take you to the other side. God now comes to Joshua and he begins to give him a little bit of a pep rally. It says this, all right, in verse three. He says, Joshua, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given you, as I said to Moses. What's going on here? In the ancient days, the way you marked ownership of your land was you walked through it, you walked in it with your shoes on. That was how a man marked ownership. That is why at the burning bush, you remember what God told Moses, take off your shoes, for the ground on which you stand is holy. He's he's saying, Moses isn't your ground, this is my ground, take your shoes off. That's why even today, by custom, you go to parts of Asia, it would be the height of disrespect to walk into another man's house with your shoes on. They always take their shoes off. Like when I go to somebody else's house, I try to surmise right away, if I've never been there, are they a shoes on family, are they a shoes off family? And if uh, I see they don't have shoes on, I'll immediately kick my shoes off, right? But we, just, we don't really do that as a, as, a, as, as, as a way of marking ownership. In the ancient days is what they did. So God is telling Joshua, wherever you put the sole of your foot, I'm giving it to you. He's reasserting the same promise he made Moses and the same promise he made Abraham before him. He's saying, look Joshua, I know you're scared but I will promise to do what I've said I'm going to do from the wilderness in this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates and all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, that's the Mediterranean toward the going down of the sun it shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. He says, be strong and of good courage for to this people. ye shall divide it as an inheritance, the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. In essence, God shows up in Joshua 1 and tells Joshua the same thing that he said over and over and over again. You can read the book of Deuteronomy that precedes Joshua, and guess what? God has said the same thing. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. I promise to give this land to you what I promised I will perform. Why is God having to repeat himself? Let me ask you, as a father or a mother, do you ever have to repeat yourself to your children? God God repeats himself often. He is repeating the promises he's made over and over again. You know why? Because Joshua realizes Moses is dead. I can't lean on him anymore. I now have the mantle of leadership. I have this awesome sense of responsibility. I am leading an entire people against a race of giants and mortal combat. And he was absolutely, at this point, scared spitless. He's fearful. He's fearful of failure. He's fearful of the responsibility. And in essence, in Joshua 1, God shows up, giving him a pep talk. Joshua, Joshua, he's our man. Let's give Joshua a great big hand. Come on, Josh, you can do it. Come on. (laughs) Why's God doing it? I'll tell you why, because Joshua was fearful. Who wouldn't be? It's an awesome responsibility and he's trying to pick him up with the promises that he's made. He's saying, Joshua, it doesn't hinge on you, it hinges on me. All you've gotta do is take a step of faith, faith and action is just obedience in motion. I will promise you, I'm gonna drive out your enemies before you. Instead of being paralyzed with fear like the generation before him, Joshua's gonna lead this people across the River Jordan into the promised land And I want you to see, that's a picture for you and me. We all have fears, guys. Every single one of us. You manage fear and faith all the time. You you, you always have an element of fear and an element of faith. I've heard preachers sometimes preach, well, faith and fear cannot coexist. I have a a deep theological term for that, baloney. (laughs) It's not true. Faith and fear do coexist. The only one that matters is the one that will control you. If you are full of faith, you will be faithful. If you're full of fear, you will be fearful. Which one will you be full of? One of them will control you. And that's what I want you to see. It was not sinful that Joshua was fearful. Being fearful is only sinful when we're more fearful than we are faithful. See, Joshua wasn't being sinful that he was fearful. Who wouldn't be? It's only sinful if we're more fearful than faithful, and I will promise you there was an element of fear as we watched them cross the Jordan in a few weeks in Joshua chapter three, but they chose to go forward by faith instead of being paralyzed by fear, and that is true of all of our lives. I can tell you personally, I have wanted all my life to be a courageous man, but honestly, there have been times I have been more cowardly than courageous. I've been more fearful than fearless. I've always had this thing with heights. It began when I was a little kid. I remember a life-changing event. I'm maybe nine, 10, 11 years of age, and this life-changing event took place at the city pool. I'd never been to the city pool. Have I told you this story? See, I, I preach three times on a Sunday morning. Sometimes I stand up here third service, I like deja vu. If I said this to you guys, I know I said it to them. Okay, I haven't told the story to you, okay. So it's life changing. I still remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, I, I go to the city pool and I'd never been there before. I, I grew up um, going to my grandma and grandpa, southern Missouri, learned to swim in the clear creeks of southern Missouri. I'd never been to the city pool. This pool thing is brand new. And the pool was just crawling with kids this day. Everybody was splashing, swimming, having fun. And it was at the city pool that I encountered for the first time in my life what I felt like may be the two biggest fears I'd ever faced. They were called the low board and the high board, (laughs) yeah. I pretty much conquered the low board right away. Everybody conquered the low board. It was just a short leap into the water, right? But it was the high board. The high board was the one I knew I wasn't gonna do that day i conquered the low board, that was good enough for me. But I began watching those jumping off the high board and I realized that it's actually the high board that separates the men and the boys. Yeah. And then as I watched a little more, I saw girls jumping off the high board. That's when I realized it's not what separates the men and the boys, it's what separates the cowardly and the courageous. I realized I was swimming safely in the company of the cowardly. And then I realized I have to do this, I'm gonna do this. So I, I remember to this day, but honestly it was like an out of body experience. You ever had that experience where you're like, it's out of body, I don't know how this is happening, it's like I wasn't even there. Next thing you know I'm standing in line and uh, the ladder going up to the high board is just you know kids all the way down. It feels like an eternity, it feels like it's taking forever. Probably only took five minutes to get to the top. Next thing I know I'm standing at the top Somehow my feet start moving forward. Next thing I know, I'm standing right on the edge of the high board and guess what? I remember it was a lot scarier from up there than it even looked from down there. You ever been in that situation? Like the view from up here is a lot higher from up here than it ever was from down there. And that's when I realized I had a decision to make. And guys, we all have the same decision to make over and over again in our life. And I remember having this decision to make. I could either leap to my death and die with dignity or I could retreat and live with the cowardly. I made the decision. I retreated to live with the cowardly I'll never forget what happened. I turn around to leave. I'm I'm not doing this today. I turn around to leave and I realize that's not an option because the ladder, it had kids from top to bottom. And the worst part is the next kid in line was my little brother. There was no way down and I would never live this down. So I realized the only way down is by going forward. So I made the decision that day. I held my breath, I closed my eyes, and I leapt to my death. As you can see, I lived. You know what I found out? I actually liked it. I think I did it more than once that day. You say, Phil, what's the point of all this? The point is this, life is full of high boards. And what used to be a low board in your life that you conquered easily, that's no longer enough. God wants to take you to the high board. And after God takes you to the high board, and guess what, eventually, you've been on that high board enough times, eventually that's a low board. And the way God grows your faith is you repeat that process throughout the course of your life. And guys, I'm trying to tell you today is the day that God is increasingly pushing you out to the end of a limb. He will push you to the end of that high board because he wants to grow you. He wants you to know the joy of living life abundantly without fear, never reckless but risky, attempting things you can't fully see, that you can't fully explain. If we can explain it, God didn't do it. That's the kind of life that I wanna live. And I want you to see that's where Joshua is today. That is where the nation of Israel was. Many years ago, they'd come to the point of no return. For some of us, we're there. It's time to go forward. Take a risk this year. For some of us, honestly, you need to take a risk. Leave behind the anonymity and let us help you connect in community. Next month is group connect. Yeah, I know it's risky. For some of us, honestly, it's to step into serving. You've come and been sitting, that's easy. This is a wilderness sanctuary. It is not costly. It's time to stand up and lead and be what you were made to be. And I want you to see being fearful is only sinful if it makes you more fearful than you are faithful. Being fearless, listen, it is not the absence of fear, it is the absence of self. I can tell you that I did scary things as a cop. I was in scary places. I mean, 19 years ago, but I had never been so scared in all my life than 19 years ago when this church called me to preach. I mean, I'm a guy, honestly, I've been shot at at close range. That's scary. It's life-changing. There's nothing more exhilarating than being shot at and missed. I, will, I was once standing on the corner of a street with my partner, a car drives by, bang, 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 and, uh, and, and it misses him completely, but there's a hole right here through the shoulder of his jacket. Interesting thing, I'd been sharing the gospel with him for several weeks, he got saved the next day. if that doesn't do it, I got nothing. (laughs) It'll make you get your life right with Jesus every time. I've I've had knives pulled on me. I once chased a guy into the backyard, an armed robbery. He'd done an armed robbery at Linwood and Gillam at the 7-Eleven, still there to this day. I chase him down the alleys. I chase him through the backyard. It's completely night, it is completely dark. There is no light and I'm looking for him in this backyard and I can't find him, I can't see him. I turn around and there he is, he's looking up at me. He's got a gun, it's like, get your hands up, get your hands up, get your, get your hands up. It's like, you know you're scared when your voice is four octaves higher. <laughs> I was scared, I admit it. But I'd never been so scared. Then there was this little church that was then called Liberty, that would eventually become Abundant Life, called this cop to preach. It was a Tuesday night, I got the call. They needed somebody to preach on Sunday. We had no pastor. I'd barely, barely started seminary. I'd barely, barely began to think about ministry, maybe. I had no theological pedigree. I didn't know anything. I preached exactly twice in my life up to that point in my life. Once was on a Sunday night to 12 people, literally. Two of which was my mom and dad, four of which were cops I brought along with me just to make sure I had an audience. I mean, this was the scariest moment of my life up to that point, I'm a SWAT cop. I've been to scary places. This was scary, scary, scary. That Sunday morning when this guy got up to preach, my heart once again, ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. It's like I'm a 10-year-old little boy once again out there at the end of this high dive. And the amazing thing is these people sitting there, they weren't gonna throw knives at me, they weren't gonna shoot at me. These were the good guys. Say, Phil, why were you so scared? Why were you so fearful? I'll tell you what it was. I was fearful of failure. I was fearful of looking foolish. Let me tell you how I got over my fear, I got over myself. See, being fearless is not the absence of fear, it's the absence of self. Self wants to save itself, self wants to hide itself, self wants to take care of self, but I'm trying to tell you, when you reach the point you're willing to abandon self, I will absolutely promise you, you will leave behind your wilderness sanctuary that is easy and safe and familiar and predictable, and you'll be willing to cross over into that land that flows with milk and honey. And even today, 19 years later, look, what used to be a high board has now become a low This church for me today, it could be my wilderness sanctuary. I don't get scared anymore before I preach. I remember 19 years ago, sitting in my police car, literally, as God is leading me into ministry, I'm weighing the risk. I, I could fall flat on my face and go down in flames. There's no guarantee and I could stay right where I was in this career I'd chosen of familiarity, predictability, promotion, I realized then, I'm sitting in this police car and I realized this is my wilderness sanctuary. Kadesh Barnea, it means sanctuary. It was an oasis in the middle of the desert. And you realize that is where that previous generation stayed for 40 years, a wilderness sanctuary. It was an oasis in the middle of the desert. No, it was not the land that flowed with milk and honey. Yes, it was only halfway, but it was an Egyptian captivity. And that's where many of us choose to stay. Yes, you've been delivered from sin's penalty, but you've never crossed over to live out the fullness of God's power and promises, life abundantly, truly triumphantly. You've chosen to stay in the wilderness, it's a wilderness sanctuary, a mediocrity. Don't be satisfied to stay. Here's where I'm at today, yeah. I could hit the easy button as your pastor, and I could just cruise the rest of the way in not take too many risks, not take too many chances. This is where a lot of churches come to where we are today. Listen, it's easy to risk everything in the early days. It's easy to risk everything when you have nothing. 19 years later, we've got more than nothing. We have something. See, there's more to risk than ever, isn't there? There's more to lose than ever. So what happens, a lot of churches, they get to the point we are, and they're just gonna hang on to what they have. We're just gonna manage it and control it, try to hang on to it, and that is the kiss of death. And that is why we've hit restart over and over again, attempting things once again that seem impossible for us, knowing that they are not impossible for God. And the way you get over your fears is the way I got over mine, you get over yourself. My life is not my own. I've been bought at a price. It belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you be fruitful or fearful? If you're fearful, you'll never be faithful. You'll never cross over into that land that is fruitful. That is my heart and desire for you, and that is the heart and desire of God your Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow together. Jesus, I pray for every person here this day that not one among us would miss the opportunity this year to go to a place we have never been, to a land we have never seen. Lord, for those that are just beginning to walk this thing out, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I pray this year would be a year of unprecedented growth. And those of us that have been walking this out for a long time, I pray that we would not stay in the same place that at one time took great faith, but today it takes none. I pray that we would take our next step spiritually to make continued conquest of that promised land of the believer. Sweet friends, listen carefully, with every head bowed, every eye closed. For some of us here, the number one fear we have is death. You're fearful of dying. And the reason you're fearful of dying is you don't know where you're going. Today, all of that can change. As others are leaving this place, you come this way. I wanna meet you at this platform. I will talk to you personally. And today, you can make certain by faith in Jesus Christ, you know your destiny eternally. And you can have no fear in life. And yes, no fear in death. Let's do that today. And to God be the glory. Would you give Jesus the glory with me today? Praise him, would you? (laughs) Hey guys, I love you so much. Before you leave, make sure you sign that wall of fear because this year the walls are gonna fall. God go with you. Have a really, really blessed day.